You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. And I want to begin by reading Psalm 27, verses 4 and 5. This is the, the heart. This is the filet mignon out of the center of the psalm. Where David says, one thing I ask for, he says here, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to seek Him in His temple, for in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Oh, Lord, let David's words mean something to us today. Let this song of praise that he wrote as a minstrel, as a psalmist that he wrote help us as we dissect it, as we break it down, as we look at how much depth there is to what he was writing here, I ask God that you would help us. Because we feel these words, we know these words to be true for ourselves. And there's more than just meets the eye here because it's your living word. And if we go into your word, there is more life. Because your word is multifaceted, multi-layered. It is, it is a gold mine. And the deeper we go, the more we will find. So help us to discover, to see. Because we know David's songs of praise are the most beautiful in the Bible. That's why we sing them. That's why so many of our songs to you, Lord, come from David's words. They, they explore and expose the deepest feelings of man toward God. There are no words to match David's words of love and devotion and intimacy with you, even in the New Testament. Nothing comes close to the articulate presentation of feelings and heart and desire that David expresses. So, Lord, let us learn from them. Man seeking God, a man with a reputation for having a heart after God, Teach us, Lord, how to relate to you as we see his words in the most intimate ways. All of his songs that he wrote are wonderful, but this one is very special and dear to my heart. So, Lord, let us see it. In Jesus' name we pray. There's many songs and prayers that are continually being sung around the world, even right now tonight, I'm sure in many other churches and places people are quoting these words. Thousands of people are quoting these words. I personally can sing songs using these words in four different languages. I mean, I know so many times that we sing this. And some of the most beautiful Spanish songs that I learned and even wrote were taken from, these, from this very song and many songs in English. And I want us to look at it and actually identify seven things I want to talk about. And I spent the day reflecting on these words and... I want us to look closely, devotionally at it tonight as a declaration of our focus. And that's really what David is doing here. He's, he's focusing. And it starts with that, with a focus of his desire. He says, one thing I ask from the Lord. 
This only do I seek. Notice the exclusivity of what he's saying. Uh, he singled out one particular desire above all desires. His son later, we know, asks for wisdom. And God gave it to him beyond human measure. Gave it to him. To, he became the wisest man that ever lived. I'm speaking of Solomon. But David didn't ask for wisdom. He mentioned it, but he singled out one thing and one thing only, and that's what the rest of this psalm describes, what we read concerning the presence of God. He said one thing. This means he eliminated all the other sources of his contentment. He eliminated as candidates for reasons why he should be happy in life. And he said, one thing I'm asking. You can have all the rest. You can keep it. This only do I seek. And honestly, when I read this today, I felt a little convicted. Because I realized I, I don't know that I'm living this right now. I mean, I seek the presence of the Lord. But I there are many sources of of pleasure and joy that I live with in my life and I can't say that honestly my whole satisfaction is coming only this only do I seek so I saw a need to learn a need for greater intimacy and we need to make that decision we need to decide what we desire most in life there must be a focus that we reach in our desire concerning God and David had that focus very specifically, saying it this way. When I first got saved, I had this focus, really from the time that I met Jesus, concerning His presence, concerning the Spirit of the living God, and that's exactly what David is speaking about. Last night we saw that his really his greatest fear concerning his errors, and then later through his subsequent repentance and renewal, was that he be cast away from the presence of God and that the Holy Spirit be taken from him and that's why he said please don't do that Lord do not cast me away from your presence do not take your Holy Spirit from me and this is what he's speaking of there's one thing that he asked for there's one thing that he was seeking only this thing and he found it he had intimacy with God enough that he gained his reputation when I first got saved, I remember hearing about the presence of God, about the Holy Spirit, and I certainly dedicated my life to that. My focus was that I wanted to know Him in reality and power. I singled out His presence and was determined to find Him. I embarked on a hunt for God. By the, by the age of 17, I was saved, and that first year... I learned about God. I learned the theories of God. I learned the writings of God. I learned about the history of Jesus, but to know him intimately and personally, I knew I did not have that like what I was reading in the books, what I was reading in the Bible, what I was reading from David. I knew I did not have it like I read in testimonials from other people who had great experiences with God. Like I always mention some of those people, Smith Wigglesworth, Catherine Coleman, Benny Hinn, Good morning, Holy Spirit. You know, he wrote a book about his relationship with the living God, and those things lit a fire inside of me and caused me to come to a determination about my life and my future, and that I needed one thing, and only one thing, and that was the presence of God. And I knew that I had to prioritize that above all things. 
And I did. And I began to seek Him deeply. Seeking, seeking, seeking. And there was a time for that, that first year when I was really seeking His presence. What I specifically was asking for were a lot of the elements that David talks about in the rest of this psalm. But given this first concept of desire, my desire burned ardently for His presence. And I sought Him and people even told me, well, little brother, what you're looking for really isn't something that God just gives to anybody. I, people tried to talk me out of what I was looking for because I, I was really earnestly praying and inviting other people to pray with me for the same visitation, if you would, for the same existence in God, for the manifestation of His presence. I wanted a tangible reality of God. I wanted God to become as real as the wall or the floor. I wanted Him to be tangible. I wanted to feel, I wanted to touch Him. I wanted to feel Him. And I described that to other people. And when I would describe it to other people, I would get emotional. I felt a certain frustration because I had already set my face like flint, like the Bible says. I was steadfastly focused on finding that and I knew that it was possible. And I knew that if my desire was set and my priority was the presence of the living God, that nothing could stop me from experiencing Him in all of His glory and His power. And in that whole year that I was seeking, seeking, longing, begging every day, people tried to talk me out of it. They tried to explain to me. They, they, they tried to sell me theories. One of them was the, the sovereignty of God dictates who gets a visitation. That if He wants by His sovereign eternal plan for you to have an encounter and, and have a close intimate relationship with Him, then that is, and that alone, is what will make that happen. And when they told me that, it was offensive to me. I decided that can't be because it's not biblical. Because the Bible says He's no respecter of persons. And that He sees all equally. So that means if any human being is experiencing anything from God, any, any form of tangible touch from God, that means all of us equally have the same rights, the same privileges. And I, I fought off that theory they tried to tell me. Another theory they tried to tell me was that, you know, you need to be patient. You need to just settle down and wait in due time. God will do this. And, and also that offended. Basically, they didn't want to hear me whining anymore. Because every time I talk to people, it was my search. I'm looking for God. I want to find God. And they would roll their eyes. I remember once even my pastor and his wife, I was seeking God and I was really earnestly praying and, and they got angry at me for doing so. I remember going in and having them tell me that, you know, when somebody has a relationship with God, they don't need to express what you're expressing. They have a satisfaction within themselves because we walk by faith and not by sight. You're looking for something that is truly spiritual and you might not experience it in a physical realm. That offended me. I think I've always been rebellious by nature, so even if my authority told me something, if I didn't feel right in myself that that's what the Word says, and my scripture then was the Bible says whoever knocks and keeps on knocking, that door will be open. Whoever seeks and keeps on seeking, they will find. And whoever asks and keeps asking, they will receive. And coupled with the scripture in James, it said, you have not because you ask not. And then I realized, nope. I mean, my whole first year of my search for the presence of God was me uh, defending 
my own campaign to have an encounter with God. And every resistance rose. Every individual had some idea. Very few people that I come across that really fueled the fire and helped me to continue the search in desperation. Uh, one of them was R.W. Shambach. But he preached that message because he knew God. That's where I first really experienced the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. The power of God was in his ministry in that tent. And I knew that this is real. And he was always, I listened to his preachings subsequent or after following that time ahead. And everything he ever said was that you can have a relationship with God. You can have an intimate relationship. I mean, you always preached all the time about the intimacy, about the closeness. If you just have passion, if you just seek until you find, you'll have it. And so I, I had, at the same time, people were trying to talk me out of seeking God. There were people who were telling me, don't give up, don't give up, keep seeking. I had that focus. And I meet people all the time who do not have that focus. And I have to ask, you know, do you want God's reality and presence in your life? Do you really want the manifest presence of God? Because it's not going to be easy. And I wanted to know him in reality and power. And I singled out his presence, just like David is saying here. And I said that one thing I asked from the Lord. This only do I seek. I wasn't looking for wealth. That's probably why I still don't have it today, 33 years later in the ministry. I wasn't looking really for wisdom. I asked him for wisdom, but my priority was the presence of God. And, and I saw this today. I realized why I identify so much with David. Because of his passion and his drive. One thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I see. We need to focus. He goes on. The second element that I'm looking at here is house. That I may dwell in the house of of the Lord all the days of my life, he says. Now he begins with several things here to describe what he, the one thing is, and it is all of them deal, in fact, he puts into various phrases the same thing. He uses different names, you'll see in a bit, that he says house, he says temple, he says dwelling, he says refuge, he, sa he just used every possible word to try to describe artistically the presence of God and how it related to him. And he wanted to dwell in the house of the Lord all of his days. This means every single day. This doesn't mean that he would dwell there and then therefore once he had this experience, then until the day he died, he would have it. He, it really meant every day, every single day, I want an encounter with God. I want to dwell in his house and know it, be aware of it. His singular desire was that he could have, not just a habitation, but a cohabitation. Sharing God's house with God himself. Don't you want to live with God? I, I want to live in God's apartment. Can we co cohabitate in one dwelling? That's what David wanted. He wanted his house to be God's house and God's house to be his house. He wanted to live in the same house with God. And that's why he used specifically this word. And I believe that the focus on God's house as our dwelling place is important. I see it in my mind's eye like a structure I go into. I see it like a place. Because it is a place. It does not... 
it cannot be measured geographically. It cannot be measured with the dimensions of this world because it is not of this world, it is eternal. But his house is still a house. It's the same as the city. The city is the house, New Jerusalem. Those of us, it says in Hebrews, that are hungry for this, we are searching for a city whose builder and maker is God. In other words, God's city, God's house, God's place that is not limited Jesus made fun of what the disciples were so impressed about. How, how can this be? Jesus, can't you see all these beautiful buildings? Look at this magnificent temple. This is amazing. And it was amazing. There, archaeologically, they have found just the foundations of that temple of the day of Jesus. You can go under the ground and see it. I've seen mostly YouTube videos of their explorations. And they recently have unearthed exact coins that dated precisely to the day of Jesus. And the same um, kings were there. And that foundation is huge. It was destroyed because Jesus said to the disciples, Yeah, you think that's impressive? Oh, well, the day's going to come. There won't be one stone left upon another. Because that's natural stuff. It's, it ends. Everything comes to an end. Everything comes to an end. But his house never comes to an end. If we live in his house, we will have permanence. And I want that. I want to be in his house all my days. Every single day I want to be in the house of God like David did. And I, and I don't want this cohabitation to be seasonal and intermittent. Like some people have experiences and then they kind of sneak away from God, live life, they come back. It's like they visit, seasonally visit the house of God. We can live in the house all our days, as David said. Longing, hungry for Him. The third element that I recognize is this word gaze. He said, what are you doing in that house? Well, I want to be there to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. This is kind of hard to understand because we know that we cannot, God is spirit. We go into our room, we close the door and we pray and our God who is invisible, it says, our God that's unseen rewards us openly, which means we cannot see him. How can you be gazing on an invisible God? Because this is speaking of a spiritual gazing. David wanted to concentrate his focus on the beauty of our God. How can you see his beauty? Well, it's pretty simple. This gazing means to stare endlessly in contemplation about Him. Imagining. That song I sang earlier, I can only imagine. Can only imagine. That's what David did in all of his songs. David was all about imagination. He created worlds with these words. I always refer to the song, The hills melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. And I have to ask the question, did David actually see hills melting like wax in the presence of the Lord? No, he did not. But his mind's eye envisioned such a glorious God that earth melted in his presence. That everything was so unimportant next to him. And all these words that we take and borrow from the Bible to be our most intimate, they all come from David. Because he wanted to concentrate his focus on the beauty of our God. He wanted to gaze, stare endlessly in contemplation, go to the house of God, spiritual there, in his heart, in his mind, and just imagine. And I love the idea of David staring at the king of kings in adoration. There's a reason why David was a man after God's heart. There's a reason why David held, was held in such high esteem. It's because he touched God. 
you gaze at him, he gazes at you. If you look for him, he looks for you. He reciprocates. All of our affections, all of our attentions that we lavish on him, we give him our whole heart, he gives back to us. We will reap what we sow in our relationship with God. If we gaze on his beauty, I think our life should be a constant contemplation of God's beauty. The wonders of God in the Bible. Because that we can see. The words, the working of God in our lives, we can see in a personal realm, in our relationship with Him. Perfect praise is the declaration of the marvelous works of God. I base this on Acts chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Serene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Now they knew that these were ignorant fishermen from Galilee and it was impossible for them to be speaking all these languages from all the people around the world. But I like what it says that they were saying. Declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, in our languages. The wonders of God, the declaration of the wonders of God. If Let's say that God could hijack you like a puppet and just operate through you and make you do exactly what he wants you to do to please him. Now, I wish it could be that way. I do pray all the time that he would be able to do that. Unfortunately, it's my choice. I would like to just be a puppet for him, but that, there's no worship in that because my will has to be involved in the offering that I give him. But there is a moment that he does this, and that's when we are filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in prayer language. Someone speaks in tongues. It is a language. You know, what are we saying? This is the only place in the Bible that tells you what we're saying. We are declaring the wonders of God. Because these people who came around, the Italians, those from Pontus, the Asians that were there, whatever root languages of Chinese, because of course the language they were speaking are not alive today as we know them, but the roots of them go all the way back to that time. They heard and listened to these people talking about the marvelous deeds, the wonderful works of God, those things that are written throughout the Bible. That's how we gaze on the Lord. When we gaze at the beauty of our God, we're transformed by what we behold. The longer we gaze, the more we change. This is where we find solace and healing for our wounded hearts. Always when we're gazing, when we're contemplating, when we're thinking, be overwhelmed with the idea of God. Let's go to the next element, temple. He says, and to seek him in his temple. Now, David sought the Lord in the physical temple. He spent time there seeking and longing for further interaction with God's spirit. There were times that his temple was not a nice temple made of stone. He had a tent that he pitched also. He will mention that tent later synonymously with temple. So that was just another form of the temple that David had. And he spent time there. And because of these works that God did and has done to wash us in the blood and sanctify us for the Master's use, we are now ourselves the temple of the living God. That's what it says, right? 1 Corinthians 6.19 Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? 
who is in you, whom you have received from God. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And finally, John 7, 37 and onward. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let everyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So all this we see in light of the fact that we become the temple from within us. We seek, we go to the house. Now suddenly you start to understand why the jurisdiction of God or the geographic location of God is made fun of by Jesus. People will come in that day. They'll say, come and see, we found the Lord. And he'll say, no, no, don't believe him. Because it's not like that. He's not going to come uh, with a pretentious uh, design and say, this is, no, when he comes, he comes. When he is, he is, because he'll be with all people. And how is that possible? Well, it's because he's going to be in his temple. Oh, really? Where's his temple? I want to go there. Know you not that you are the temple? Did you know there are temples built in the Old Testament that were not filled until things were done? But when the things were done and done right and the petition was clearly made and they asked God to fill his temple, he filled his temple. It says it filled with smoke. It was so powerful that the priests could not enter the temple that when we really earnestly asked God to fill this temple, the temple that we are, he will fill it. He will fill you. You want to be filled. He will fill you. He, he's not waiting for something sovereign. He's waiting for your invitation. When you say, God, this is the temple, but I want, like Solomon prayed, that you fill now, that you hear my petition and my prayer, and you fill this temple, and he will honor that petition because you... You are the temple. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's why He bought you with a price. That's, that's why you're known as His. Because He has made this light shine out of darkness. And He does show you the face of Christ in that visitation. So then you become filled with this treasure, it says, in these jars of clay, because we are fragile like pottery, but we have treasure inside. Jesus invites all the time. Whoever believes in me, he says, says, let anyone, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, 
Whoever believes what? Believes in Jesus. It says, as many as believed in me, he gave them the right to become the children of God. And they were transformed in the children of God. But you had to understand specifically, categorically, what he's saying here in John. Let everyone who is thirsty come and drink. Whoever believes in me, that is, that he is a source. And he will be able to come and have water. Rivers of living water will flow from within them because the connect will be made. He meant it by the Spirit. And we have that Right, we have that privilege. What a wonderful gift. One thing. This only, David said. One thing. I, you can keep everything else. Keep everything else. You keep the things of this world. You keep the concerns of this life. If you can have the presence of God. If you can have the presence of God. You have everything. And that is coincidentally what it costs you to have the presence of God. It costs you everything. Not everyone wants it. It's a place we go. The next element is safety. He says, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling, in that house, in that temple, in that place that he goes there's safety. David knew many days of trouble. We've just been through his life when he's in exile out in the wilderness. We're seeing all these problems. We're about to go into a whole new phase of problems with him. He, he experienced a lot of hard times. He often was exiled and in great peril and living in fear without the protection of the natural. Everybody that he depended upon could not protect him, could not guard him. His closest allies were severed from him. His best friend, Jonathan, was divided from him because of the tyranny of Jonathan's father. And later, before they could really be reconciled, was his desire. They died because that's exactly what Saul earned from his labors. David had to deal with this mentality that his best friend was no longer, he, he knew he could never find another friend like that friend. He knew that God was the only other one, and so he went to the Lord, and in his deepest, darkest moments, when all of his own men turned on him to stone him, because the Amalekites had raided the city of Ziklag and taken all their possessions, it says that he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Everybody was going to kill him. There was nobody. Everybody, his very own, were picking up stones to destroy him. But he encouraged him. So he found it in that house that he's referring to. Oh, only in our Father's house are you going to find that satisfaction. The presence of God. One thing. This only. Make it your priority. There's safety there. Because he speaks so much about this safety and about being safe. Uh, just a fraction of these. Psalm 4, 8, in peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Psalm 12, 7. You, Lord, will keep the needy safe and will protect us forever from the wicked. Psalm 61. Keep me safe, my God. For in you I take refuge. Psalm 31, 20. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all human intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. Psalm 144. Keep me safe, Lord. 
from the hands of the wicked. Protect me from the violent who devise ways to trip my feet. Psalm 141.9 Keep me safe from the traps set by evildoers, from the snares they have laid for me. The bottom line is God is our refuge. He's our fortress. He is the safest place we can be. Don't seek safety in man. Don't seek safety in this life. Don't seek safety in, in... There's no assurances in this world. There's only one assurance. There's one positive. There's only one absolute perfection, and that is His presence in relationship with Him. That's the safest place you can be. You'd be kneeling on a beach in Syria with ISIS raising the sword and you're safe. What do you mean they cut their heads off because they wouldn't deny Christ, but they were safe? You understand that this life is not relevant to this safety. The madness that Nero experienced when he went into the Colosseum and saw the severed heads of the Christians that he had fed to the lions with smiles on their faces drove him insane. He lost his mind. Because he knew not even in death could he affect these imbeciles called Christians. What do they have? What could make them happy in death? Drove him insane. It's because they were safe. Doesn't matter what goes on in this life. You can be safe. David knew that. He sang this song in caves in the cold without food dark, hiding with men seeking his life. He sang these songs on his instrument and he worshipped God in the middle of it all. I think of the disciples in prison with the stripes on their backs. Paul and Silas just ripped with, with stripes 40 lashes, tearing them. They were bleeding. They were, it was extremely painful and they decided to have a church meeting in the prison and just sing hymns God came and shook that place because of his safety and brought them out. It brings me to the next element. Hide. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent. I don't know. I, I, I picture Ruth uncovering the feet of Boaz in his sacred tent. Picture Esther making an unannounced entrance into the king's room to find the scepter extended, preserving her life. We can go to him. We can hide. He'll always welcome us. No matter what's going on around you, there's always a resting place in him. And this is what it means to focus on him. It means we enter the refuge of God and hide where we're kept in his sacred tent. He was referring to that tent he pitched to put the Ark of the Covenant. He hid it there when he was in exile and they were not yet restored. He didn't have a big beautiful temple. He just had this tent. That tent was so precious to God that he said through the prophets in the Old Testament that I will restore the tabernacle of David. I'm gonna, I want that tent rebuilt because it's more sacred and more wonderful than the most glorious temples that have been constructed. Because it had a heart to it. It had heart. 
integrity, sincerity, that he really loved God. And you can build a temple and fill it with hypocrites. You can build a big structure and fill it with people that do not truly mean what they're saying. They just go to participate in some type of social gathering. But you can have this obscurity in the middle of nowhere, and it can be a tent like this, and be more sacred, more important, so much so, that just like David's heart was the standard for all kings, David's tent become the new standard for all temples. I am restoring the tabernacle of David, he said. And here he keeps calling God's presence different things. He calls it a house. He calls it a temple. He calls it a dwelling. calls it a sacred tent. We come to the last one. Rock. He says, and set me high upon a rock. In almost 30 times in Psalms, David calls the Lord his rock. I looked it up carefully. It's, he constantly, the Lord, my rock. Psalm 18, 2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Psalm 61, 1 through 4, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. God is the rock. He's the solid foundation on which we rest. We, we embrace this in the words of Christ. As whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on rock. And our whole existence has to be connected to the rock, to the solidity of God that can be found in His presence. All this, one thing, these are the seven elements that we saw. He said one thing. And that was His desire. One thing I ask for from the Lord, this only do I seek. Secondly, we saw a house, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord for all my days. Number three, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Number four, temple. To seek Him in His temple. In the day of trouble, He will keep me safe in His dwelling. You see safety in His presence. And He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg. Thank you.